Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for all that you mean to us and all that you've done for us. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead us as we see what you'd want us to learn from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now, we just got done with David being confronted by Nathan for his sin. And we remember that he was told that his wives were going to be slept with in, out in the open because he did it in secret, and that the sword was never going to depart from his family, and that uh, he wasn't going to die because of it. And so we're going to look at the first penalty that comes his way <laughs> is the trouble in his family. So verse 1 in chapter 13. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, loved her. And Ammon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister, for she was a virgin, and Ammon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, and the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why are you, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Will you not tell me? And Ammon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down in your bed and make yourself sick. But when your father comes to see you, say unto him, I pray you, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may eat it, and eat it at her hand. So Ammon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was coming to him, Ammon said unto the king, I pray you, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Ammon's house, and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Ammon's house, and, she, and he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Ammon said, Have all the men, have out all the men from me. And they went out every man from him. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> We're looking at this and we start out with Absalom having a sister who is pretty. You know, or probably beautiful. It says fair, beautiful, you know, whatever, whatever their definition of at that time was. And her name was Tamar, one of the women that are named in the Bible. And so she's there and it says that Ammon David's son loved her. Now, Ammon is David's son. He is the oldest son of David. All right? So he is actually would be considered the crown prince. He's the oldest son. He should be the next, next king in line because he is the oldest. He's not going to become king for many reasons, but he's not going to become king. But he would be first in line under ascension rules. And it says, Ammon was so vexed or in distress that he fell sick for his sister, for she was a virgin, and Ammon thought it hard for him to do anything, so he really is infatuated. I'm not, I'm not going to use the word love. He is infatuated for her. He wants her, and he wants her very bad. And so far, he's not willing to do anything. All right? He is not willing to do anything to dishonor her. 
she is a princess by for, after all. I mean, he's not going to do anything. And then Ammon had a friend. We need to be careful about our friends. Friends get us in trouble frequently if we don't have good friends. And Jonadab is not a godly friend. <laughs> Jonadab had, and Ammon had a friend. His name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. Subtle is the description of Satan in the Garden of Eden. All right? The serpent was more subtle than all the other cre creatures. More tricky, more soft of word. It literally has the idea of being somebody who flatters, who has oily speech type, type mentality. And this is J Jonadab, who is actually a cousin because he is, he is uh, the son of David's brother. So this is a cousin for uh, Ammon, but they're friends, and this is not a good friend. This is not somebody you really want to be friends with, especially when you listen to his advice. And how many times do we listen to advice of a friend, and somehow stupid advice sounds good when it comes to friends? <laughs> I don't understand it sometimes, but if it's a friend, we just tend to say, give him the benefit of the doubt, and forget what God says. And this is why we need to be very careful. Who are our friends? Who do we take advice from? Don't take advice from non-Christians because it won't be good advice. Now, God can use a Christian, a you non-Christian, know, but be careful. Make sure their, their advice matches up to the scriptures. Jonadab's advice is not going to match up to scripture at all. Verse 4, and he said unto him, why are you being the king's son so lean or weak and, and, uh, and, and uh, poor? Will you not tell me? And Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. At this point, he's not even saying it's his sister. It is a half-sister, okay? So we have some relationship going on here. And many times in the scriptures, people get married to half-sister or half-brothers. It is not allowed by Levitical law. And Levitical law said that you cannot marry within three generations of your family. So when Abraham married his half-sister, and, and we see uh, Jacob being married to a cousin, a close cousin, it, the law had not been established at that time, and it was not a problem. At this point, it would be a problem. He's in love with a sister, half-sister, same generation, different mom, same father. So we have a problem here. Even if they do want to get married, there's a problem here that the law says that they cannot be married. And Jonadab said unto him, Well, lay you down in your bed and make yourself sick, and when your father comes to see you, say to him, I pray you, let, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress me to my sight, that I may see it and eat at her hand. All right, this, I never, don't understand why David would even consider this. You know, why, you know, my thought would be, why do you want your sister to do this for you? Maybe Tamar was an excellent cook. I don't know. You know, it doesn't tell us enough to know that. But, you know, he's saying, you know, let her bring something in and cook it in front of me. You know, in one sense, it might be, it might be okay. You know, it would be something like, let mom come in and give me my, you know, make my be best dish, you know. So I don't know why David would do this. And like I said, like I said, unless Tamar had this reputation of being a 
fantastic cook of pastries, and that could be something that re why David didn't trigger off an instant wondering why. Of course, David's a ladies' man. He may not care one way or the other. <laughs> okay, he keeps grabbing hold of women. He likes them. He, he makes them his wife. He, he ends up with 10 of them. So, you know, we have this problem in here. And then it says, so, in verse 6, so, so Tamar, Ammon laid down and made himself sick. And when the king was coming, he said unto the king, I pray you let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat at her hand. So basically we see that he just said, uh, I like Jonadab's idea. I'll get her in here. At least I can look at her. And then he may have started out with an honest idea of looking, just looking, just watching. Yeah, well, how many times, though, do we get caught up in a sin and it goes from where we start in our thought process to a very deep place? All right? We don't know that he had planned on this being, being a, a, a rape or not. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say that he started out with the right attitude and just took advantage of the situation because of where he was at. He created the situation, unfortunately, so it probably was in his heart already. All right, because we, out of the abundance of our heart, we speak and we will act. So it was probably there to begin with. Whether he meant to do it from the very beginning, we don't know. All right. So David went, went home, uh, sent home to Tamar, saying, "Go now to your brother's house and dress meat, dress him meat, or dress him food, more more literally." So David just doesn't doesn't bat an eye at it. He just says, "Okay, Tamar, go go make your brother some food." Now, was David that naive? I sometimes wonder. Yeah, but he had to, I mean, I can't picture him putting his daughter, the princess, into that situation knowing what, you know, even suspecting what might happen. This is true. She's not, that's not that big a deal. It's do what, do what you want, but still, it's his son and her. I don't see that him wanting to do that necessarily. I could be wrong. And it could be that he was just naive. His son is pretending to be sick unto death, you know, so he's going, oh, it's too weak to do anything anyway. Let's see if, let's see if uh, the beautiful Tamar can liven up his spirits. You know, I'm, again, I'm trying to look at the good side of this because I can't picture David saying, okay, Tamar, you get in there. I know your brother's going to, you know, make advances on you, but you go in there anyway. All right? I can't imagine that. Yeah, I think he saw my son's sick. You know, this might make him feel better. And, uh, and he sends, sends Tamar. So she's being told by the king to go. She's not, I don't think, suspecting anything at this point because uh, she's just following her dad's advice. You know, and, and like I said, I had this feeling she might have been a halfway decent cook as well as a good looker. Uh, so Tamar went into her brother Ammon's house, or his, his suite of rooms, and he was laid down, and he, she took the flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight, and she did bake the cakes. And she took the pan and poured them out before him, and, but he refused to eat. Uh, and I don't know if he's pretending I'm too sick to eat or what. Then he did something that has to set alarm bells off for Tamar as well. He says, have out all the men from the room, and every man left him. At this point, there is no turning back. He, he knows what he's planning to do. The men that he sends out of his room probably know what, she's, what he's planning to do. And Tamar probably would suspect if she has any 
any worldly wisdom at all, she knows what's going, you know, what, what's going to be happening at this point. I don't know where she was. I mean, sometimes I wonder. I can remember long, long decades ago when I was naive and would not have known any of this stuff was going to happen. I'm long past that kind of naiveness in my lifetime. I don't know where Tamar was. I don't know where the men were, but they had to have known in that day and age you never left a man and a woman alone together. Now this is brother and sister, so there may have been a little more leeway involved in that, but this is not something that should have been done. They should never have left him alone with her in his room. It would be one thing to leave him alone in the, in the uh, kitchens, the dining room area, but in his room, no. So we have the stage set up. We have David, earlier he called Bathsheba to his room and everybody ignored what was going on and he ended up in his adulterous affair with Bathsheba causing all kinds of problems. Ammon's sin is not going to go unpunished. <clears throat> Verse 10. And Ammon said to Tamar, Bring the meat into, into the chamber that I may eat it of your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber of her brother, Ammon her brother. And when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said, Come lay with me, my sister. And she answered him, saying, Nay, my brother, not, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not this folly. And I, where should I go? Where shall I cause my shame to go? As for you, you shall be as one of the fools of Israel. Now therefore I pray you, speak unto the king. He will not withhold me from you. Howbeit he would not hearken to her, but be, being stronger than she, forced her to lie, uh, forced her and lay with her. All right, so we have this activity. He calls her and says, come to my bedroom. Come on into the bedroom with the cakes. At this point in time, Tamar should have refused. She and her brother are to to totally alone, and he's saying, come into the bedroom. There should have been nothing. She is not as innocent and free even as Bathsheba was. You know, we, we like to say, well, Bathsheba just obeyed the king when, when she slept with him, but she still had a voice. She still had an opinion. Tamar goes in, and he grabs hold of her. All of a sudden, he's got lots of strength. And he grabs hold of her and says, lay with me. She says, and I, you know, it's kind of interesting, she says, no, my brother, do not force me, for, for nothing like this should happen in Israel. Right? We are God's people. This is not what should happen in, for God's people. This is the same thing for us as Christians. We should not have sin named amongst Christians, but yet it happens, and we know it happens. This was a situation set up by Ammon. He got himself alone with her, and he grabs hold of her, and she's begging with him, don't do this. This is not the way we do things, because she's thinking in the back of her mind, all around them are nations where this kind of stuff happens all the time. Incest, fornication, adultery are not a problem all around them. Matter of fact, when they worship their gods, they have orgies. And she's going, no, this is not what we do. We worship God, and he says, don't do this. And then she even goes 
you know, where should I go to call, hide my shame? You know, I'm going to be shamed if you do this. I'm not going to be a virgin. I'm going to be ashamed. Where can I go? And we've got to understand, in that day and age, it was a big deal to not be a virgin. Not as, not as bad as it is in our day where it's no big deal to most people. But in that day, if you weren't a virgin, nobody wanted you. Nobody. And so she's saying, what's going to happen to me? You lay with me, nobody's going to want me, and I can't, I can't pretend to be a virgin from this point. Because if and when I do get married, it'll be known that I'm not a virgin. And so she's saying, don't do this. He goes, and as for you, you shall be as one of the fools. <laughs> you know, the senseless, foolish ones of Israel. So she's saying, you know, I won't be able, I won't be worth anything because of what you've done to me, and I can't hide my shame, and you'll just be a fool. You won't, you won't be able to hold your head up high, is what she's saying. And remember, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. All through the Bible, the fool is related to one who rejects God. So she's basically saying, you can't reject God. You, you will not have a future in that case. And then she comes up with this idea, says, Now therefore I pray you, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from you. In one sense, I think that she was not too opposed to being his wife. She just didn't want to be his toy. <laughs> you know, she did not, you know, because I don't think she would have even suggested that. You know, hey, if you just go talk to, you'd go talk to dad and he'd give, you, give me to you. Even though it's against the law, even though it's against the Levitical truth, you know, uh, a laws, dad would go ahead and make the, allow this to happen. It could be. Either an escape pen or she doesn't, he is the crown prince, remember. So she's basically getting herself set up to be queen if, he, if, 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 if it worked. Or as you say, maybe it's an escape. Well, you're going to talk to dad. I'm getting, I'm going to go to brother's house. <laughs> you know, so it could be either way. I, you know, I don't know. I, I read it as if she's you know, not, too, not too opposed to the, to the idea. And I could be wrong. You might be right. Maybe you know, you've seen it from the woman's point of view. Hey, go talk to dad and I'll get out of here. As soon as he's gone, get out of, the, get out of his room. Uh, I never thought about that part of it. But, you know. so, but anyway, she's trying, to, trying hard to get him not to do something totally foolish. And it says... In verse 14, howbeit he would not hearken to you, and being stronger than she, forced her to lie with him. Even at this point, she has great guilt in, in her by the Levitical law. The Levitical law says that if a woman is forced in town, she is to scream out. She has not screamed out. So both of them at this point now are subject to either being married or being stoned for the two of them. That was the penalty for rape under the Levitical law. You either married the girl or you were both killed. Or you could, make a, you could buy a, buy, buy a pay, her, pay her father enough money to get out of it. And the father made sure that you paid a great deal of money because he was stuck for her for the rest of his life. So he was going to make sure that if you wanted to buy out of it, it was going to cost you a fortune. And so she is still in the wrong. She should have left as soon as he told the men to leave the room. He should have, she should have screamed when he started to force her. And she did not. So in many ways, she has a guilt on her as well. Because she did not do the things she was supposed to do. 
Now, he, he forced her and probably threatened her and all these other things that go along with it, but she had her responsibility to the law, and she obviously seems to understand God's word and his law. You know, you can't do this. This isn't right. Don't do it. Don't make yourself a fool. And we have this big problem. He desires something, and he takes it. And he's going to have the same thing that happens to all of us when we take and indulge in sin, thinking it's what, we great, what will make us happy and make us satisfied. It doesn't satisfy. And that's exactly what's going to happen with him on this situation. Verse 15, Then Ammon hated her exceedingly, so much that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he loved her. And Ammon said to her, Arise and be gone. And she said unto them, There is no cause this evil of, in sending me away is greater than the other that you did unto me. But he would not hearken to her. Then he called his servant and ministered unto, that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for the, such robes were the king's daughters that, that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. He gets what he thinks he wanted, and then he hates her. I'm not so sure he hates her as much as he hates himself. He gave in to something he knows was not right. He gave in to what he wanted to do in spite of her speaking good advice to him all through this whole thing. So he hates her because she's right. He hates her because he's sinned. And his hate sends her, has him send her away. He wants nothing to do with her anymore. Unfortunately, this is the way we are with sin. We think it's going to take and, and please us. It's going to be just what I need. Happens often even in fornication events, even where it's uh, justified. You love the person so much, and once you get them, okay, got this one, it's done, next. And that can happen from both sides, men, men especially, but both sides can do the same thing. And he got her, decided, nope, wasn't what I wanted, especially all the guilt that he's feeling because of all that transpired as well. But we do this with all of our sin, no matter what it is. You know, I just have to, I'm feeling so bad, I just got to make myself good, I'm going to go get a couple drinks, and the next thing you know, I'm guilty about drinking, and I knew I wasn't supposed to, and I'm now upset that I drank, upset that I, you know, did it, don't want to ever touch it again until the next time. And this is the way it goes with sin. We get what we think we want. God hits us with convictions, especially when we're his children. Now we really don't like what we did, and we get angry at what we just accomplished or what we think we did, you know, achieved, and then we found out that it didn't give us what we wanted, and now all of a sudden we're just, we're almost as more angry at it than what we wanted in the first place. And this is where he is with Tamar. Got her, found out that it wasn't everything that he wanted, the guilt starts getting after him, then it's probably at the same time, it's okay, what's Absalom going to do and what's dad going to do? You know that's in his mind. All right, you know, Absalom's brother, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm older brother, but, you know, Absalom is not a weak man. <laughs> you know, he's a soldier, we find out later when he rebels against uh, David. Uh, and we're going to find out that he's going to kill Ammon as well. And that's exactly what he's probably worried about. You know, what's, what's Ammon going to do? 
You know, he was probably pretty sure Tamar's going to go straight to brother and tell him. You know, he didn't care enough to keep her. Or, you know, if, if, and if he doesn't go to Absalom, what, what if she goes to dad? What will dad do? All right. So he's got some guilt. He's got some worry. She didn't just fall into his arms like he was hoping to have requited love and so then he had to force her. So there's that side of it. She did not love him the way he loved her. Uh, so now he's got all this anger and bitterness to her, toward her and pushes her away. We do this oftentimes as a Christian. We may blame somebody else for our falling into sin as well and we push them away. It's their fault. And reject them from that point on. You know, whether they gave us good advice or bad advice, we may push them away. Well, you didn't tie me up and keep me from doing it, so, so it's your fault that I did this. And Have you ever been blamed for somebody saying, it's your fault that I did something wrong, even if you didn't, you told them not to do it, and yet they'll blame you for allowing them for somehow to do it? You know, it's an amazing thing how blame becomes the key thing when we sin. And it's not new. We saw it all the way back with Adam and Eve. You know, it's, you know Adam told God, you know, God, it's, uh, it's the woman you gave me did this. You know, he pointed both ways. Eve just pointed at the serpent and said it was his fault. And all through time, man points something to some other way to try to escape their guilt. Not my fault, their fault. Not my fault, their fault. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't Satan tempting me. I wouldn't have done it if my, my, my spouse wasn't the one you know, egging me on to get me mad. I wouldn't have done it if my kids weren't irritating me so bad. I wouldn't have done it if the boss hadn't given me so many unreasonable rules to, to live by. You know, just blame all, everybody all over the place for our decisions. This is where Ammon is right now. He's, he is not blaming himself for it. He's blaming Tamar. You know, well, if she, if she hadn't come into the room, if she hadn't left when I, you know, if she hadn't stayed when I sent all the men away, if she hadn't come into the room when I asked for her to come in, you know, if, 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 if make, putting it all on her, and then the fact that she didn't love him and that he's worried, that he's convicted about his sin because of what she said, and he's worried about what brother or dad's going to do, he's got a lot of issues in, <laughs> up his sleeve right now. And he sends her away and then she says, there is no reason, no occasion for you to send me away. Uh, you know, what you're doing now is worse than the rape. You know, you're sending me away as a cheap harlot or a whore, and there is no reason for that. You need to now, basically she's now getting him even angrier, because basically she's saying it's time for you to man up and, and take responsibility for what you've done. All right, that's really what she's saying. There's no reason for you sending me away. Now you're going to do worse than what you did originally. So she's still now playing back to that very first thing. If you talk to dad, he'd give you to me. And she's following through with that. You can't send me away now. You need to follow up. And that is the law. At this point, he has raped her. The law says that he's to marry her, or they're both to die, seems how she didn't scream out, or he's got to pay David a lot of money which I don't think David would take that option. You're not going to buy that one. So he's got an option of marrying her or dying. And they would both die because she didn't scream out. This is a pretty serious situation. He may even understand what she's saying when he gets to this because he's already hating her. He's already upset that he, 
She didn't give him back what he wanted. And then he sends her away. He calls his servants and says, and he, put this woman away from me and bolt the door so she can't get back in. All right? He, he's being, and, and I don't think it was said with very much kindness. Okay? I believe that it was dripping with a hatred in it. Put this woman away and bolt that door. All right? He was not very happy. He is guilty. What does it feel like when we're guilty on, about our sin? We have all been there. And we have a guilt in our sin that we're not going to, that we're not ready to confess to God especially. And we sit there and we stew in it. And we get more and more bitter. He's going to get more and more bitter as time goes on. You cannot escape your sin without confession. It eats at us. A lot of times people think, well, they got away with their sin. Nobody ever gets away from the sin. Number one, God knows. Number two, you know. And any one of us know, even before we were saved, sin eats at us. In the quiet of the night, it might not, might not eat at us in the daytime when we're busy or when we're busy working and doing things. But when we go to bed or we're quiet, the sin and the guilt eats at us. Ammon is never going to be free of this. Even though it looks initially like he's getting away scot-free. He has a guilty conscience. Every time he sees Tamar around the palace or around town, he's going to be struck with the guilt. doesn't say ever that she got pregnant after this time, but if she did, that's going to make it even worse. And it doesn't say that she did. So, but just seeing her, every time he sees her, every time they have dinner at the palace where the whole family gathers up, every time there's a worship activity and the family goes together to give sacrifices and he sees Tamar. Might even be just as bad if he sees Absalom. Now this is Tamar's brother. So you see an Absalom is going to trigger these thoughts. And on the other side would be, did she tell Absalom? When's Absalom going to strike? When's he going to, when's he going to get back at me? You know, all of these things have to go through his mind because his guilty conscience is going to play hard on him. Very hard on him. And then it says, She had a garment of diverse colors upon her for the, such robes of the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. And the servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. Put her back on, had her dressed back up in her virgin's clothes and pushed her out the door and locked it. What an event. What an event that's happened to her. To be raped and then be rejected at the same, in the same fell through. And then add to that, it's dad's fault that it happened. <laughs> you know, she is not really going to want to go back to dad even at this point, probably. Dad is the one that told me to go into his room and, take, and do this. So you can picture she's in a very confused state of mind at this point. You know, her brother just raped her, her brother raped her, and her dad is the one that arranged for it to happen. Whether he meant to or not, we don't know, but you know, in her mind anyway, dad arranged this. And in her mind, she's probably thinking dad should have known better. <laughs> All right? So she has got a rough place to be at in her mind. Verse 19, And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garments of diverse colors, 
that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Ammon, your brother, been with you? But hold now your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Absalom's advice isn't much better. So she leaves. She goes into mourning. She tears her clothes. She puts ashes on her face and she's on her, on her head. And she's crying. Absalom says to her, Hath Ammon, your brother, been with you? He suspects what's going on. And he says, but hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now we know Absalom has got plans. You know in the back of his mind is Ammon's pain. And he's going to wait. This is what Absalom's part. If Absalom had gone right out and took hold of Ammon and, and, and killed him, he would have been within his rights. He is the, he is the uh, blood kin of her, and he could have gone right there and, and actually killed him and got away with it. His plan is not to do that. His plan is to do cold-blooded murder. Ammon is going to pay, and he's going to pay when the time is right. And that's his thought, and we're going to see that that's exactly what it was. So we have a big deal here. Absalom is planning revenge. We're going to see that later on. He plans a revenge. But he's going to make sure that Ammon's not looking for it when the time comes. You know, he's holding it deep in his heart and saying, okay, and he's probably thinking about it all the time. How many times have we had a sin and an anger and a bitterness against somebody and we nurse it? We nurse it in our spirit. And we keep thinking about it. Just wait till I get a chance to get back at them. Just wait till they're not looking. Just wait till I get them in that dark alley alone and nobody else is around. Just wait till I get that opportunity to do whatever it is I want to do to them. This is where Absalom is at this point in time. And the problem with that is you're nursing that bitterness and over time that person forgets. And how many times have we been in a place where we are so angry at somebody and then and then they go, well, what's wrong? Well, you know what you did. I have no idea what I did. Maybe they've done it to you. You know what you've done. What did I do? Now, in this case, I don't think Ammon's going to forget. You know, this is a pretty significant sin. This isn't a lightweight, I said something or I took something, you know, small. I don't think Ammon would forget. You know, but he will come off his guard. You know, he's not going to be guarded as much. Because right now, he's in a place where he's going to expect judgment at any moment. He is guilty of a sin that is worthy of death. That's the penalty for this. That or marry her. You know, and he doesn't know which way they're going to choose. But he knows this is a serious situation. Verse 21 and 22. But when, David, when King David heard all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to, uh, to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because of, he had forced his sister Tamar. Here is two major attitudes. David hears it and doesn't do anything. Why? I have no clue why David doesn't do anything. You know, it may be because this is his oldest son, and he doesn't want his oldest son to die, because that's 
what's supposed to happen. He's either to die or marry Tamar. Both of them are against the law. You know, the marrying her is technically against the law, but he did rape her, so the, the thing was that he was supposed to marry her. Well, Maybe, well, he slept with Bathsheba. Uh, he, there is a lot of things in here that David may have reasons not to, not to want to do this because one of the hardest things for a parent to do is discipline their kids for something that they have done themselves. Because they're so afraid of the kids saying, well, you did it. Well, it was wrong when, it was wrong when I did it too, so now you're going to get the punishment to try not to do it again. All right. Now, David didn't actually rape Bathsheba, but he did sleep with her. And he was, you know, so he's not an innocent child in any of this at all. So he probably has had these issues. When Saul died, he would have been given all of Saul's concubines to sleep with. And many of them may not have wanted to sleep with him willingly either. So he has probably come dangerously close to rape, even though he was allowed to do to sleep with them. They were his. But, you know, so he's probably experienced this, a woman or two that didn't want to be his. Uh, so there's lots of things probably going on in David's mind. You know, I can't, I can't punish Ammon because I'm not much better. You know, I, I'm not, I'm, I, can't, I can't do it, but he's very angry. You know, he, he very, at least probably should have exiled him, put him out of the palace, done something. At this point, Ammon's thinking, I got away with it. I got away with it. Dad's not punishing me. And by the way, Dad's the Supreme Court. All the major cases go to him as king. So he's gotten away with it in his mind. Well, does his son do what his dad did? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, the idea of what what he did with Bathsheba was not unknown. All kinds of people. It would have been the it would have been the court gossip. Uh, plus, Nathan has called him out in public. You know, Nathan did not go, you know, Nathan went to the throne room and said, David, you're the man. That would have gone through everywhere. You know, David, David was, is an adulterer and a murderer. And that, that, was, that was known throughout the land because Nathan did not keep it silent. Why? Because God says, be sure your sin will find you out. And if you're somebody who's very important thinking you got away with sin, God will make sure everybody who thinks you're really important gets to know about your sin. And this is why it's important for us. Keep your accounts short. Confess your sins. Admit your, admit your sins and repent. Otherwise, God will make it very embarrassing. It's much easier for me to go and say, God, I have sinned and, and confess my sins than for him to put it out in the open and make me repent anyway. I'm still going to repent. The question is, who has to know about my sin? Is it between me and God? Or is it between me and everybody that knows me? And God will do that. We've seen that many times with many of these televangelists and everything that have committed adultery and would not repent. God says, fine, you're not going to repent. We'll let everybody in your ministry know about your sin. And that's what's going to happen. If you will not repent, God says, fine. I'm going to make sure everybody knows about it. Now you have a choice. Are you going to repent or not? And almost everybody who has it that open finally just breaks down and repents. Because what were they afraid of in the first place? Other people finding out about it. You know, God, I, I'm, I'm the crown prince. I can't, I can't uh, confess this sin. David, I'm the, I'm the king. I can't confess this sin. I mean, what would the people think about me? 
And that kept him from, from being repentant for somewhere between nine months to, to almost two years after the event. And Nathan came and said, you're the man, David, you're guilty. Everybody knows now. Now, what's your reason for not repenting? Are you ready to repent? And David immediately went, went to repent. And this is what happens many times when people don't repent. The reason we don't repent is because we're afraid of people knowing what we've done. So God says, fine. You're afraid of people knowing what you're doing and you won't repent, so let me just tell everybody what you've done. Now what's your excuse? Are you ready to repent now that you're no longer afraid of, of people's, people's thoughts about you? Are you ready to repent? And most people do, but not all. Some people get mad at God for exposing their sin, but he already told them he was going to. He says, your sin will be shouted from the mountaintops and from the rooftops. If we don't repent, God will shout our sins out. This is why it's important for us to, to repent and confess and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it open. I don't want it to be brought out in the open because it's much easier for me to go to God and say, God, forgive me. Then once he's forgiven, a lot of times people will let others know what they did and what God's forgiven them anyway because they're so happy that God forgave them. But it's better than God breaking us. And God will always take and break us if we, won't, if we have a stiff back. If we have a stiff heart, a broken, a strong, stony heart, he'll say, okay, let me just break this up a little bit, see if you can be tender again. He's going to do it. If you're his child, he's going to do it. Now, if you're not his child, he's just going to cause conviction upon you until you decide to, to repent. And this is what it is. So David gets angry but does nothing. This is a key on this whole thing because this is going to what, this is part of what burns in Absalom's heart that David does nothing for his sister's honor, his daughter's honor. A princess of Israel's honor has been violated and David does nothing. He doesn't make them get married, which is what the law was. He doesn't, he doesn't kill Ammon. He doesn't even exile Ammon. Doesn't kick him out of the palace. Doesn't kick him away from the court. David does nothing. As if nothing happened. And this burns in Absalom's heart. Now he's mad at not only Ammon, he's upset with his father. Dad didn't do anything when my sister was harmed. And this happens in families all the time. Well, not yet. He's planning. No, he's planning. He, he knows what he plans to do. He's giving David the chance to do something. But we're going to see. His, his mind is, is made up. He says, And Absalom spoke to unto Ammon neither good nor bad. He basically ignores Ammon. So Ammon at this point in time is kind of thinking, I got away from dad hasn't done anything, Absalom hasn't done anything. Probably Tamar didn't get pregnant, otherwise I think that would have been noted in here. I think it would have been noted in here if she had gotten pregnant. That might have triggered David to do something <laughs> if that had happened. So Absalom is angry and hates his brother for what he's done to his sister. Probably rightfully so, but he should have gone, at the very least, he should have gone to David and said, David, Ammon has raped, raped my sister. Something must be done. You are king. And take, took the case to, to his father as the ultimate judge. Instead, he's got other plans. He's got other plans that are going to be 
as sinful as what Ammon did to his sister. Because he does not have the right to go after Absalom the way he does. Verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal al-Zor, which was in the east side of Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to to the king and said, Behold now, your servant has sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech you, and his servants go with your servant. And the king said unto Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all go down, lest we be chargeable unto you. And he pressed him, howbeit that he wouldn't, but he, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray you, let my brother Ammon go with me. And the king said, And why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him, and he let Ammon and all the king's sons go with him. All right. Two years. Two years he hasn't spoken to Ammon. Two years of bitterness between them that David has got to be aware of. Right? They're together, never talking to each other. You cannot have your family not talk to each other without noticing. You know, and maybe, well, I've never, what's going on between, you know, between John and, uh, and Sam? You know, what's going on with them over there? They don't talk to each other anymore. And people go, oh, yeah, you, you know, it was this event. You know, we, we, know, we know why they're not. David had to have known that they weren't talking to them. And so after two years, he decides he's going to have this great big party. And it's not uncommon to, at the end of the sheep shearing time, the wool has been sold to have a great big celebration. You have, you have now profited. You've taken care of these dumb sheep for, for the whole year. You've gotten, your, you've gotten your sheep sheared. You've got the wool for them. And you've made your money. You okay? You've profited on all these things that you've been feeding and taking care of for a year. And so you have a big party. And Absalom invites all of the king's sons, all of them. Doesn't, doesn't single out Ammon, invites all of them. And for good measure, he goes to David and said, David, why don't you come? No, Father, why don't, why don't you come to this, this big party? We're going to have a great, we're going to have a great time. And David is getting fairly old at this point. He says, no, my son, let us not all go, lest we be chargeable to you. No, you go have your fun. And this chargeable could be, you have a debt, I I, I owe a debt to you. Or it could literally be, I don't want to keep you from having your fun. (laughs) David knows what's going to go on at a boys' party, boys' night out party. He knows there's going to be drinking. He knows that other things will happen at a party. (laughs) All right? Their parties were not that much different than our parties in our day and age where things happen, especially once people get drunk. So this chargeable might be both. I don't want to have a debt against you, and I don't want to keep you, I don't want to keep you from having your fun or having to hold you accountable for what you have done. Kind of a, if that's the case, it's a really bad statement. He didn't hold Ammon accountable, and yet he's telling him, if you have too much fun, I'll have to hold you accountable. All right? And so he says, no, I don't want to go. Then, then Absalom gives something, and this is a red flag to David. Okay, so Absalom says, if you won't go, then let my brother Ammon go with us. And David goes, why should your brother go with you? <laughs> All right? And I can almost picture, you haven't talked to your brother in two years. Not, you know, might not, might not have said it, but he's just thinking, you know, you haven't talked to your brother in two years since since he raped uh, Tamar, 
why do you want your brother to go to a party now? Not only a party, but this party is in Ephraim, a long ways from Jerusalem. All right? This is a big deal. This sets red flags up to David. Not enough to make him not happen. And then it says, Absalom pressed him hard, and he let him go. And I would say he didn't just let Ammon go. It would have been probably an order, because I don't think Ammon wanted to go to this party that Absalom's throwing either. All right? Maybe he's feeling a little comfortable around Absalom at this point in time. He's forgetting the anger that Absalom had from him. I don't think so. Not on this. Uh, I can almost hear, Dad, you want me to go to a party in Ephraim with my brother Absalom? You know, probably because he was king and father, he's probably got going, are you insane? But he's thinking, are you insane and crazy? You want to send me to my brother's party way away from here? Well, you're not going to be here to protect me? At least in the palace, Absalom's not going to do anything to him. Because David's there, might even have some secret service or whatever their equivalent of secret service were in that day. Secret service of the palace guard have always existed. There's always been a protective people around the king and, their, and, the, and the leaders. They've never in all, all through history have not been left alone. Now sometimes kings where they were mighty warriors would, would say I don't need them, I can defend myself and then they usually got killed because they couldn't, they weren't always on watch. But here we see Ammon sent to the party that his brother Absalom is having that is several at least 100 to 150 miles away from where David's at and he's being sent to a party with somebody who hates him but, and he knows that he's hated this is, this is kind of this is why I don't understand why David again David didn't have the red flags when, Ta when Ammon asked for Tamar, or did and ignored them. Ammon rapes her, doesn't do anything about it, doesn't see all the red flags on it. Has Absalom calling for his brother? His question makes it seem like he knew what this one, this was, that this was not good. And yet, sends Ammon to go hang out at Absalom's party when he's hated. At the very least, he's got to be worried about Ammon being killed on the way in an ambush, being poisoned, maybe being outright killed, you know, outright killed by his brother, because David's not there to protect him. I sometimes wonder how naive is David? You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. He is a man who is a great general. He's a lousy father. We see this all over the place. He is a lousy father. Probably because he's too busy fighting wars and, and running the government and, and staying busy. Just like many men who get wrapped up in their, their work. You know, okay, I'm supporting my family. And, and men who become workaholics, that's our ex, that is our reasoning. If I didn't go out and do this, my family wouldn't have all the stuff that they have. They don't get to see me. They don't know me, but they've got a house. They've got stuff. They've got good stuff and food on the table and, and utilities are paid and they're all taken care of. I'm sure that that's kind of where David was at. I go to war when I have to. I'm running this, this country. We're making all kinds of money in the taxes and I can give them anything they want. What they really needed was dad trying to install some kind of moral character in them. 
even though he lacked it in many areas, he at least should have been able to go, sons, I've made a lot of mistakes. I don't want you to make the same mistakes and, and tried to instill this into them. It appears that he did not do a very good job with any of that. He's going to have all kinds of problems with his sons. And why he falls into this, I don't know. I don't believe that he was naive. Maybe he's hoping that Ammon and Absalom can work things out. Maybe he is stupid enough that he doesn't, doesn't know that Absalom is planning to kill Ammon. It's been two years. Maybe he's forgotten about it, about the bitterness, because he's been busy running the country and fighting wars and all these things. So he may have forgotten. But his question definitely goes, I haven't seen you talking to your brother. Why should your brother go? Maybe he's not expecting murder, but he, doesn't, he knows that this is not going to be a good, good thing. And yet he lets it happen. Is David being complicit in another murder? I don't know. You know. I do not understand why he would let him go. And this is something that really bothers me. When I watch how families operate, even in our world, and what happens around families, and I look at what God says, and I look at the way I love my kids, and I've seen parents abuse their kids and do, set them up in bad places, and going, how could a parent do that to their children? And it just boils down to they don't know God's love, so they don't know how to show love in the first place. And so we see here David not being a good father. He hasn't protected Tamar. He hasn't protected and not going to protect Ammon. And all of this that's going to go on as we look into Absalom's revenge in our next, next session. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we thank you that you forgive us of our sins when we repent and confess and that you want to love us and you want to keep us and you want to give us good things. And all you ask is that we turn our life over to you and, and confess our sins. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.